If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn to the 8th chapter of Hebrews. The 8th chapter of Hebrews. I've already talked to Brother Travis and Brother Ronnie. And we got a little stirred up even for the service because of the text tonight. I was looking at covering verses 1 through 6. But it's hard to get through those first two verses because there's so much in it. And if you had to put a title on this evening's message, it's a very simple title of His Majesty. His Majesty. You have your Bibles. We're in the 8th chapter of Hebrews. Listen at verse number 1. It says, Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. But then verse number 2 goes on and says, uh, speaking of this great high priest, he says, he's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Verse number 3 goes on and says, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. And we maybe can get through the remaining verses there, but uh, there is so much in these first three verses. Uh, we are understanding here as we go in through the book of Hebrews uh, that he's uh, starting to lay out, he's proving his point, if you will, of why Jesus is just superior. Why he's uh, superior uh, in the, his priesthood. Why he's superior because of the covenant uh, that he's a part of. He's superior uh, because of the sacrifices that he had to offer. He's superior uh, over the angels. And he goes on and on and on. And now we come to chapter number 1. And we see in chapter number 1 it says, and the key phrase here is, and we have such a high priest. Now what is he referring to? He's referring back to chapter 7 verses 22 through 28 where it talks about uh, this is what he's been doing. This is why he's, uh, he has a better covenant to work from. Because we understand that the old covenant was not inferior to where it did not uh, fulfill its purpose. The purpose of the first covenant was to reveal your sin. The purpose of the new covenant is to remove your sin. Okay, I'm, 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 Some of you are going to have to get me with because when we start coming to the right hand of the Father, I will have a spell because I found something out that just stirred me and I've read it and I've read it, but uh, just the other day I thought it was right in my face and I said, Whoo, glory to God. I, I wanted to go ahead and get a little happy dance going on, but uh, we are dignified around here and I'll withdraw. Yeah, we're dignified, aren't we? <laughs> So he goes and tells us that there's a, a continual priesthood in these verses, chapter 7, verses 22 through 28. We see that the priesthood that he uh, is superior to, that that priesthood has died out. 
Matter of fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we went to Sabbath services there in Nashville at the Orthodox uh, Synagogue. And uh, they, of course, uh, they worship on Saturday. Uh, and they were talking about the old law. They were reading from the Torah. They were reading about the law. And they, when they finished reading the Torah, they would take the Torah and they would raise it high and they would uh, parade it around and they would put it in the ark. And I started thinking about, here they are and they're very sincere. They're very meaningful. Uh, I, I understand where they're coming from, but they've missed the boat because they're still stuck in the old law that bound them by law. And the law had to be acted out in the flesh and the flesh always loses out. But this new covenant that we have, oh, it's a covenant of grace. And it's not because of what we do, but it's because of what he did for us on Calvary where he died for our sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And now even then, uh, when you go to the Orthodox service, they don't have sacrifices anymore. The sacrifices have ended. But our sacrifice continues to live on. And so he says uh, that he's just a, a better. Then he talks about salvation in verses 22 through 28. He is our salvation. There is no other name in which man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. I know our ladies uh, had a wonderful weekend and one of the speakers uh, they said was a, a wonderful speaker. She came out uh, of being a Muslim and now she's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you could, uh, Rebecca was telling about, you could tell, just tell she had been set free. I mean, she was just free. She no longer was bound. And my dear friend, you might not be Jewish. You might not be a Muslim. You might be a lost person. But you need to understand, you're just as bound as they are. And you cannot be set free unless you come by the way of the cross. The new covenant. The covenant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he goes on and talks about that. And then he says... He is interceding for us. See, the Old Testament priest, that's exactly what they would do. They were the mediator, but they could only go so far. And then after that priest died, then somebody else had to step in. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest, his priesthood is continual even in today, and he's interceding for us. And so here, when we come to chapter 8, verse number 1, he says, Now these things which have, we have spoken of, here is the sum. The word sum means here's the main point. The main point is we have found such a high priest. <laughs> you don't have to look anymore. You don't have to search anymore. You don't have to go and take a course on world religions and pick out the one that's going to fit you. You need to understand, and we have understood, those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have to look anymore. We found the great high priest. He's greater than all the rest, and he reigns and he reigns forevermore. Praise be unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He set me free. He he set me free. Thank God Almighty. He has set me free. I told you I was getting stirred. We got something to be stirred about. So he goes and he says, here's the sum. We found such a high priest. Notice where he finds this high priest. 
It says he's sitting at the right hand. Now, there's significance about the right hand. We see it in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. We also see it in chapter number 10, verse number 12. We also see it in chapter 12, verse number 2. He says he's sitting at the right hand. He's sitting at the right hand. He's sitting at the right hand. When you see repetition, that means you better pay close attention. It's very significant. What is the significance? Well, first of all, we see that we find it prophesied of by the psalmist in Psalms 110, verse number 1. Now, if you want to take time to turn to that, I'm going to paraphrase. But in Psalms 110, verse number 1, we see the psalmist says this. He said, the Lord. Now, in the King James, you probably have it in uh, large letters, the Lord. The Lord has said to my Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Father speaking to the Son. Are you getting this? The Father is talking to the Son. And He says that He will sit on the right hand of the throne until His enemies become His footstools. Now we understand that you go to Revelation and you will see there is coming a day I said there is coming a day when the Son is going to come and He's going to call His bride home. That's us, church. We're going to go up. Now, we're going to meet Jesus in one of two ways. We're either going to meet Him in the air or we're going to meet Him by way of the grave. But here we see that's not what He's talking about. What he's talking about is you go on the rapture of the church and then the Bible talks about a time, a seven-year period of the great tribulation. Now notice the word great. Significant now because we all are going through tribulation. That's not what it's talking about. The great tribulation is when the wrath of God is going to fall on this sin-cursed world. And those who've rejected him, judgment's going to come. But after the end of that period, we all understand that the son is going to come back. Now, he's not going to come by way of the manger, but he's going to come not as a priest, but he's going to come as a warrior. He's going to come as a judge. And he's going to come and we're going to come with him. And the Bible says we will reign with him. And that's when all the injustice is going to be taken care of. That's when all the things that we're experiencing even today, that's going to end. We're going to see that he's going to put an end to all this that's going on. And the Bible says we will reign for him. We're going to reign for him we're going to reign with him. And now, so I looked at this text and I thought, I understand what he's talking about here. But 
I also think it's a secondary teaching here. See, because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and I'm fixing to show you very significant why it's such a, uh, something that just jumped out at me. We understand because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, he says that he's interceding for us. See, when you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you accepted Him as your Lord, His blood removed your sins. The Bible says He's forgiven them as far as the east is from the west and will bring them to the remembrance no more. So in a way, if you will, our enemies have already become our footstools. Now, here's the problem that we have. Why do we have to struggle the way we struggle? Why did some of our brothers and sisters there in Texas have to die the way they died today? A lot of questions are raised. If, if he has subdued our enemies, then what's the purpose of doing what we're doing? Well, understand, we're not fighting for our victory. We're fighting from our victory. The victory's already been won. Jesus Christ has won the battle. He's won the war. Now, we might still have to fight some skirmishes along the way, but I got good news for you, church. We will come out winners. We're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. And so here in Psalms 110, verse number 1, we see that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. It was already foreordained, and you even go back further than the psalmist, You'll go back before the beginning of the beginning. God had laid out a foundational plan and that foundational plan was that he was going to send his son. His son was going to die on our behalf. He was going to shed his blood and the blood sacrifices, the one that he gave is the one that will last and there's no need for any more. And so he says that... He's sitting right at the right hand of the Father. Now, also notice, the Old Testament priest, if you go to the tabernacle or if you went to the temple, there was no furniture there. Why is that? Because that priest, his work was never done. See, he had a continual. They had a continual bring the sacrifices. He had a continual going into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of Israel. He had a continual going. See, there was no place for him to sit. Why? Because his work was not done. But notice here in our text tonight, the Bible says he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Why is he sitting tonight? Because his redemption work has been finished. Matter of fact, because his redemption work has been finished, that means your salvation is intact and complete and it's eternal. You cannot lose it. You, 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 you cannot uh, be in and out, in and out. I'm telling you, if you've been covered by the blood and you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is for eternal. His redemption work is over. It was never over in the tabernacle. It was never over in the temple. And so he goes on, but here's even more significance of the right hand. You go back to the Sanhedrin. 
And in the Sanhedrin, it was sort of like our Supreme Court of today, only hopefully a little bit better. The high priest was the ruler over that, or he was the judge. When you would come, they would have scribes on the left, they'd have scribes on the right. You would come in and you were charged with a crime. They would hear your case, judgment would be passed, and if you were found guilty, the scribes on the left would write out the requirements of what you had to do or what was going to take place for you. But if you came before the Sanhedrin and your case was presented, they looked at you and they did not find any guilt in you, you went to the right hand. You see where I'm going with this. And the right hand, the scribe would write out, and he would write out something like, no condemnation. Not guilty. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm st- I can feel it now. I'm fixing to have a spell. Do you understand? See, here is significance. The right hand, it has prominence. When you look at who's sitting at the right hand, the right hand means you're no longer condemned. You had a death sentence over you because of your sin. The Bible says that we were dead men walking. We were alive in our physical bodies, but we were dead in our spiritual bodies. And we could not do anything about it. We couldn't work hard enough. We couldn't jump through enough hoops. But because of the new and because of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ he looked at us when we came to him in faith and when we confessed our sins and believed in our hearts of saying Lord you are who you say you are and I understand I'm in need of a Savior I'm undone I'm a sinner and I want to know you in a personal way and when we come to know him by faith he looks at us and he says then you will be recorded on the right hand you are no longer condemned. Do you understand that tonight? You have been set free. You had a death sentence on you. You couldn't do anything about it, but because of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he says, I'll take their place. I'll die on their behalf. I'll shed my blood. And when we accepted that, we hear that wonderful words that we see in Romans chapter 8. There is no longer any condemnation found in him. Praise his name. We're no longer condemned. Do you understand? If I were to go to Tennessee State Prison, go to death row, and if I could go and tell a man that's condemned to die that he's been set free, do you think he's going to respond like, thanks. Son, he's going to be jumping. He's going to be shouting. He's going to be doing all kinds of things. But it isn't interesting that when we come to God's house, that many times that's exactly how we act. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, another one got saved. Praise the Lord. Folks, we ought to be overly joyed. It ought to, when we have a baptism, sometimes we are taking that for granted. Sometimes we come in nonchalant. 
We, we already knew we were going to have a baptism. And we ought to, every one of us should have came into this building saying, praise God, we get to see another one baptized, which means God has saved another one. We already have two more lined up for Sunday morning to be baptized. I'm telling you, we ought not to keep quiet about this because they had a death sentence and now they've been set free. And so he goes and he says that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But then he goes on and tells us in verse number 3, he says that he is offering gifts and sacrifices. Gifts and sacrifices. He's talking about Jesus, our high priest. So not only is he interceding for us, but he's offering gifts. Now, uh, gifts... Uh, could very well mean that it's referring to the meal offerings. Many of the meal offerings were um, offerings of praise. We're fixing to come up on Thanksgiving where our time and uh, attention is going to be drawn to that. And, of course, we're going to have family. You're going to go visit family. Some of you are hoping your family don't come. And, and now we, it's all kinds of things like that. And the world looks at it as another day off from work, another chance to go ahead and get drunk, and uh, all kinds of things go on to this day. But Thanksgiving uh, was a day set aside to give thanks to God. Uh, but we ought to be doing that every day. Amen. Uh, that's the gifts. They would come showing their gratitude. I was talking to uh, one of the uh, uh, folks there at the, uh, the synagogue, and I was talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. And, and they, the Feast of Tabernacles, we, Riggle uh, and I, we went to... Uh, it's the latter part of September, and one year we went to Israel, and it was during the Feast of Tabernacles. And listen, they party down. I mean, there's dancing in the street. They got booths lined up against the roads, and uh, they shut the schools down. It's a week long vacation, and they're making and, and and they've done the same thing that we have in this country. We take uh, uh, holiday times uh, and we use it for everything else that it's not set uh, that it was not set aside for. But the Feast of Tabernacles is time for them to rejoice and thank God for the harvest. Church, we've had some harvest days here. We've seen people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Many of us ought to be thankful that we're not where we used to be. Some of you I know, and you really need to be thankful. Some of you do not know my whole story, but I'm telling you, I came from some of the things that you came from as well. We got a lot to be thankful for. But the Lord Jesus is giving gifts and sacrifices. Now, what gifts is he giving? Well, what about the gift of forgiveness? Have you been forgiven? Has God forgiven you? Then you ought to be rejoicing. There could be the gift of long-suffering. We can go on and on all night long about the gifts that the Lord Jesus has given us. But notice he says sacrifices. Now that one 
is, of course, talking about the blood sacrifice. In Leviticus chapter 16, and on my next visit to, uh, to go visit the rabbi, I'm going to ask him this question. I'm going to be nice about it. But I'm going to ask him, I said, okay, your word, the Old Testament says in Leviticus that uh, there is no atonement for sin without blood. They no longer do sacrifices. How are they atoned for their sin? Now, they got, they got an answer for that. And basically what they're saying is because of who they are. He says, well, that's ridiculous. That's, that's the reason why I don't like Jewish people. They just think they're chosen people. The Bible says that they are chosen. Matter of fact, well, that's the reason why we better pay attention to our political affairs. Because the Bible is quite clear that if you bless Israel, God will bless you. Amen. And I believe with all my heart that the United States of America has been a blessed nation because we have befriended Israel. That's right. So that's, that's ridiculous. Do you realize you don't have to be Jewish to think that same way? I've met some people. Says, well, I've been in church all my life. I've been a Baptist all my life. My dear friend, if that's what you're counting on, then you're lost. The Bible is quite clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And the Jews, and I love the Jewish people, the people that I met in my little trip, uh, I, I just fell in love. They were very cordial to us, very nice to us, and, and, and helped me learn some things. But I'm telling you, I, I have even a deeper burden for them now yep. because they're so close. Yep. They're so close. They're still looking for the first Messiah. They're looking for Elijah to come. That's the reason why they'll set an empty plate because they believe Elijah's coming. What's the significance of that? Because when Elijah, they believe, is the forerunner of the Messiah. And so they're looking for him. They're looking for him. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm trying to get this relationship going. I want to tell them, hey, you don't have to look anymore. He's been here. He is the Lord Jesus. He is Yeshua, Lord. And by the way, one of the signs of things coming to a wrap down here is that now they're coming even more so back to Israel. Jews from all around the world. Every time, Brother Glenn, of course, is more educated on this than I am. But every time we go over there, you see more building, more building. Why? Because they know something's up as well. Now, they're thinking the first Messiah's coming. My dear friend, we're waiting for the second coming of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here uh, he says that he's offering up these gifts and he offered up the sacrifice. And because he offered up his sacrifice, we no longer have to worry and we don't have to keep looking for someone else. We found who he says he is. The Lord Jesus. Now, for the closing, look at verse number two. 
And verse number two, I started thinking about this uh, this morning. Notice where this new sanctuary is at. He says, now he's up in the sanctuary, uh, and the sanctuary uh, is, uh, he says, he goes and talks about he's the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and and not man. And so he tells us the sanctuary is there in heaven. He's talking about church. He's talking about the church here. Now, I I said it uh, this morning in my Sunday school class, uh, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I know that many of you uh, are picking Ecclesiastes to do your daily devotions because it's so encouraging and uplifting. You know, all is in vain, all is vanity. But uh, if you start studying, you see that Solomon was just asking questions that we ask. Why is this going on? Why is this? Why, why do I do what I do and all that? But I started looking and he talks about fellowship. He was looking for someone. He found a man, a balanced man. He found a lazy man. Uh, He found a workaholic. And and then he looked at the solitary man. And he says this. In in Hebrews, it talks about it in in, uh, Amos as well. Uh, But in Ecclesiastes 4, 8, 9, and 12, we see, first of all, he talks about one man. Then he talks about two is better than one. And then in verse number 12, he talks about there's uh, one, uh, he has a partner, and then there's a third party. And the Bible helps us to understand a three-chord bond is stronger than a one-chord bond. A two is stronger than a one. And so what he's talking about is the church. Church, we are stronger together than we are separately. God is never intended for us to be going off and doing our thing. Now, we have different ministries in the church, and, and, and we all uh, can get wrapped up in our, our ministry. Preschool has a wonderful ministry there, taking care of our babies. Uh, but they're just a part of the total ministry of the church. Uh, we have our children's department, and you've seen evidence of our children and people that are working with our children, but they're just one aspect of the ministry of the church. We have our teenagers, and we have our senior adults, but if we're not careful, we'll start to become an island into ourselves. and you need to realize that you may not be have any connection with a preschool, but preschool is still part of the total ministry, and we are to come together and we're to work together and we don't need to be saying things well I paid my dues where'd you find that in Bible now granted I'm not really jumping up and down saying please let me change a dirty diaper but if there needs to be help there I need to change a dirty diaper Why? Because it's a part of the total ministry. We're in this thing together. And and, and so you're saying, I could never work with teenagers. And I can see your point. (laughs) But if there's a need, I'll go and do an overnight with teenagers. I might not live through it, but I'll still do it. Why is that? Because they're a part of the total ministry. Three chords is stronger than one chord. And so when he talks about uh, the the church here, this tabernacle, he said it's the true tabernacle. 
Now, stay with me on this. Thank God for what we have here at Hillcrest. I'm grateful for those who went before me. And I can name some names of those who worked tirelessly. Pastor has alluded to that many times over about those who've gone before us. And we have this beautiful facility and we have the, a wonderful uh, part. I mean, we can go on and on. We have those who take care of this and uh, we should take pride in, uh, in, in this building. But folks, this building is not the church. The church is us. And, and the Spirit of God is not stronger in a multi-million dollar building than if someone's meeting with 10 people under a tree in the outbush of Africa. The Spirit of God is prevalent always and at all times. And I t- said it this morning, and a pastor can allude to this. For some strange reason, we thought uh, in the church life that you're deemed successful because of the size of your congregation. That's foolish. I know some men. Pastor knows some men. They're in the backwoods that you couldn't find if you had a GPS. As a matter of fact, usually your GPS sends you somewhere else anyway that are still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching it hot, and they have, they have a burden for lost souls. And I'm telling you, you better be careful that you're sizing someone successful by the size of their congregation. And we're not successful because of how much money we have in the bank. We're successful because the Holy Spirit has reigned upon us and has empowered us to do what He's called us to do. And three is better than one. Amen? So in closing, here we say, we've been looking, we've been looking, and we have found what we've been looking for. Now here's the question. He's sitting at the right hand on the throne. By the way, a priest could never sit on the throne, only a king can sit on the throne. Melchizedek, remember him? The type of Christ? He was both king and priest. Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. And he's our great high priest. And he has all the qualifications to sit on the throne. So here's the question. Where is he sitting in your life? Is he sitting at the prominent place in your life? Or has your work taken that? Is he sitting at the prominent place? Maybe you're trying to get your career and you're getting your education and you're striving and say, boy, if I could just get through this, get through this, and you've missed out and you haven't been serving the Lord Jesus Christ like you should, don't you think he deserves first place? He deserves to be sitting on the throne of your heart because he's the only one that has saved you. So tonight, church, where is he setting for us corporately? Have we gone ahead and placed personalities or whatever the case may be in his place? It's amazing to me that... People get this celebrity thing going. And 
now I've already been made fun of my suit. Some say that I ought to change my name to TD. If I can get me one of them goatees like he has, I might can, I might can make it happen. But, you know, we have all the flashy and all the glitter and the lost world even watches stuff like that. My dear friend, if you're putting a personality over where Jesus Christ ought to be sitting, you need to make a change. We're here to serve Him because He and He alone is worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship.